Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Blue Gold Report podcast, radio show, all that good stuff. Rags is out east with some friends, I believe, family and friends, so I will be flying solo today. My name's Todd Burlidge. I'm a writer for Blue and Gold Illustrated, Associated Press, Elkhart Truth, among other things. This has been the one, this has been the show we've been waiting for, because camp has finally kicked off. The team is at Culver Military, uh, getting ready to go. Five practices down there. Um, 16 before school starts towed. I'll get a little bit more into that um, as far as the schedule is concerned. First and foremost, we are brought to you by D.O. McComan Sons in Fort Wayne, Indiana there. Great funeral homes there all over the, the area there. Um, and also, when you find us, believe it or not, some people have not found our show yet. So when you download it, share it, rate it, do everything you have to do to get the word out. Because we, these people are lost without their Blue Gold Report. They need to be part of the team. A lot to cover today. We mentioned camp opening. Got a handful of Blue Gold Nuggets for you. Got a lot of audio from Brian Kelly. Quarterbacks, running backs, green jerseys. Uh, we're going to preview Northwestern as our opponent countdown continues. And an interesting story from men's hoops that came out this week. But as we start every show, let's get to your Blue Gold Nuggets. Starting with the poll, the poll is out, the AP poll, first one of the year. Notre Dame landed in this preseason coach's poll precisely where it ended, the 2017 season, number 11. Um, Five of Notre Dame's opponents are ranked, uh, which speaks to the strength of the schedule. Stanford is number 13, Michigan 14, USC 15, Virginia Tech 17, and Florida State at 19. So all, all kind of bundled in there, aren't they? Those five opponents ranked anywhere between 13 and 19. Uh, the All-American team, the AP All-American team, will be set for August 20th. So we'll keep an eye on that to see if like a Julian Love or somebody uh, is part of that Associated Press All-American team preseason. Um, let's see here. For some recent history for Notre Dame, as far as Notre Dame is concerned, Notre Dame was number nine in this poll heading into the 2016 season. That was the 4-8 and eight debacle there. Number 11 in 2015 and number 17 in 2014. That opening game with, the obviously, number 14, Michigan, and number 11, Notre Dame, that's a big one. What a weekend that's going to be, that Labor Day weekend. Um, number 6, Washington, plays number 10, Auburn. Uh, that's in Atlanta. Number 8, Miami, Florida, plays number 24, LSU. Uh, that's in Arlington, Texas. And a couple of future opponents for Notre Dame, Virginia Tech and Florida State, will be facing off on Labor Day. That's in Tallahassee. So, uh, needless to say, Alabama is number 1. Uh, it has been the... Past two years, actually, Alabama has been ranked in the top five every year since 2009, so no surprises there. Clemson checked in at number two, Ohio State number three, Georgia number four, Oklahoma number five. Uh, Purdue did receive a few votes there, so that's your poll that just broke out this week. Um, Let's see here. Moving on to that camp schedule I started talking about a little bit. Opens Friday, August 3rd. Actually, they're practicing as I'm recording this. Five practices at Culver before returning on August 8th to campus. They will have actually, where, where did I do with it here, 16 practices before the school year starts. Um, and then the school year starts August 22nd, and they'll have nine more practices there before the big game on September 1st against Michigan. So 25 camp practices, a lot of time for the coaches to figure out exactly what they have cooking there. Um, let's see here, what else do I have? On the basketball front, Jaron Grant and Pat Connaughton were in town. Um, 
trying to give back a little bit. They actually bought a buttload of backpacks, filled them with school supplies, and handed them out to some kids on campus. I thought that was a great gesture on those guys' parts. They are they're, they're really involved. They try to stay involved in the communities they're in and also come back to South Bend and give back a little bit there. A couple of really good guys. Uh, Pat was actually on the show here a couple of weeks ago, if you folks were listening and heard that. Um, they were inspired to do this uh, mission of theirs uh, by LeBron James. Uh, he built a school in his hometown of Akron, Ohio, this past week as well. Obviously, Pat and Jaron don't have the money to build a school, so they thought perhaps this was the next best thing, and I thought that was pretty cool. Um, let's see here. Back to camp, back to camp schedule. It's you know most of the positions are set. I know Rover's still a little bit up in the air. There's some things to work out as far as the running backs are concerned. But all in all, Brian Kelly's really excited about exactly what he has. He he thought the guys all came back to to camp in great shape. You know, football such couch football so interesting because the coaches have to step away for those weeks during summer. So they have to self self train and and you know and they're on their own. And so it's always interesting when they get back on campus to see what they look like, see how they did. And here's Brian Kelly talking about just how happy he was with the guys and how they looked when they got back. This is the only sport in football that you lose contact, you know, for six to eight weeks. And, and it's difficult because that's why we do this. We love the interactions and the day-to-day teaching and learning and relationships that you get with your players. So, look, all coaches got a little bit of time off. We're all fired up. We're excited. These guys have been busting their butt for the last eight weeks. So, you know, we've got to temper that excitement with, you know, let's understand how hard these guys have worked and let's insert ourselves back into the process of building our traits you know, total preparation and, and continue to sharpen our mindset. And that's, that's really the job of the coaches. And I can tell you, standing here in front of you today, without playing a football game, that our guys love to compete. They love the challenge of being here at Notre Dame and the kind of schedule that we play. And they love the opportunity to be around their teammates. So if that's any indication of where we're going to go, it's a good start. It's a good start because all the other stuff, who's going to play what position, we're going to go compete over the next month and we're going to figure all that out. So as far as definitives, I wanted to give you the definitive about this team. They love to compete. They enjoy being around each other and they relish the opportunity for the challenge that's in front of them because we know it's a great challenge, but one that they're looking for. I think the other one that I know has been prevalent amongst our football team and really was the message moving forward was, was accountability. Um, and, and, you know, when we talk about accountability, we're talking about our guys uh, doing all the little things right and holding each other to a high standard. We've seen that built in this football team, and I'm really excited about that as well. High level of accountability amongst the group. And that part of it is what we've built over the past uh, year in, in, in the culture change for us, as well as great leadership. So those are some of the certain things that I have for you. I also have a great staff. I have great coaches that are great communicators, great teachers, great mentors, proud of them. And I've got a great support staff. You can't do this job without a great support staff as well. So 
Those are some of the absolutes. Those are the things I absolutely know about this football team. The rest, I might have questions for you guys um, as, as it relates to some areas because we're going to go sort that out o- over the next month. Brian Kelly talked at length, which I thought was interesting. I think the big story coming, big storyline coming out of his press conference was just kind of the, the size increases some of these guys uh, have put on uh, the weight, good weight, obviously, during the summer workouts. And again, with the coaches not around, you really don't know what you're going to get until the guys return, and he really liked what he saw. Let me run down a few of these. I think a guy that really attracted the most buzz was uh, because he was 230 during spring ball, and then he comes back, and um, Aquara, he is now up to, where is he, where is he, where is he? I've lost him, 241. So he's put on 11 pounds of good weight, and this guy was pretty good last year. Finished the 2017 season with 17 tackles, but four and a half of those were for loss, uh, two and a half sacks. And his seven quarterback hurries were second on the team to only Jerry Tillery, who had 11. Aquaro uh, also had an interception and a forced fumble. So uh, that's good news because Notre Dame really does need to find a way to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, sophomore Jer- Jordan Genmark Heath, he arrived as a safety actually in 2017. He's now moved to inside linebacker. Uh, and he's up 14 pounds. He's up to 225. He's six foot one. That would be the biggest weight gain by any Notre Dame player since spring ball. Uh, Brock Wright, the tight end, he's up 10 pounds to 260, 6'5", 260. So that's a that's a nice gain there. Uh, Bo Bauer, freshman linebacker, who really turned some heads in spring ball. He's an early enrollee guy. Uh, he's up nine pounds, 225. Uh, he certainly caught the coaching staff's attention during spring and summer. And Houston Griffith, this guy is going to be a star for Notre Dame. He's a freshman, another early enrolled freshman. He is up to two, 200 pounds, 205 pounds to be exact. He's up nine pounds since spring ball. This guy can run like a deer, so he can play corner. Six foot, 205 pounds. That's incredible that you could be that big and play cornerback. Or he could play safety. But Brian Kelly said one way or another, he is going to play. Uh, the biggest loser, if you want to look at it that way, senior nose guard Micah Drew, Drew Treadway. He lost nine pounds, which was probably a good thing. He's down to 300 pounds. And Michael Young, the wide receiver, he lost seven pounds to 185. Also not necessarily a bad thing there. Um, So that was something that I thought was interesting. Obviously, all eyes are going to be on Brandon Wimbush, the quarterback. Um, He obviously under 50% completion last year, but Brian Kelly said he really likes a bunch of things about Wimbush. First of all, he's really worked hard on exactly his mechanics and those types of things. So Brian Kelly's real pleased about that. But I think more importantly, and he talks about it in this clip, is the leadership. Obviously, a quarterback at Notre Dame has to be a leader, and he didn't feel that with Brandon Wimbush last year. Um, And you could kind of see it. Brandon Wimbush would get down on himself, kind of isolate himself, and you could really see that even from the outside looking in. So here's Brian Kelly on Brandon Wimbush. Clearly, Brandon comes out into preseason camp as the number one. Ian's number two. Phil's number three. And, and we hope that we, uh, we have great competition, which we will. And, and Brandon's going to have to compete. He can't sleepwalk through this, and he knows that. What I was looking for in this offseason was much more vocal, holding players to a high level of accountability. He didn't have that last year. He was kind of trying to figure out himself in a lot of ways. And not that he's got all the answers. He wouldn't tell you that. He clearly has a confidence about him that he lacked at times last year. So we just want to build on that. We want to build on him knowing that we know he's a great quarterback and can be the best quarterback in the country. So that's going to happen quite a bit. You're going to hear us say a lot of great things about him, and we mean it. 
because he's taken the time to work on his own weakness. And when he's confident, there's nobody that will stop this offense because everybody believes in Brandon Wimbush. So if he walks out there and he is confident in what he's doing, he has the Larry Bird effect on everybody where everybody raises their play because if Brandon's confident, we've seen what happens when he's a confident player. And that's a, and that's a great thing, and it's nice to hear Brian Kelly talk about how Brandon Wimbush has really improved himself in a variety of ways, not only mechanically, but in a leadership standpoint. I expect some big things out of him, and uh, it's not all that unusual for a quarterback to make a huge jump between their first year as a starter and their second year as a starter. As a matter of fact, it's more, it's more rule than exception. So I think with the talent around him, uh, Brandon Wim, I think Notre Dame's going to be in pretty good hands. When you're talking about position groups and you're not exactly sure what you have, I think you have to go right to running back. Rags and I have talked about it at length. Uh, running back is, is you just don't really know what you got because obviously Dexter Williams, and I have a clip we're going to play about Dexter Williams. Brian Kelly likes what he's done, likes what he sees, but it certainly it looks like he's going to miss the first four games of this season, and that's a, that's a big chunk. That's a third of the regular season right there. And you don't have a lot behind him with all the attrition at this position. I mean, when you think about it, what exactly do you have? You have a couple freshmen, uh, Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister, both three-star prospects. Not a whole lot, you know, not great recruits, but, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll come in. Uh, Flemister was certainly a summer surprise. He did a nice job from what I hear um, during his off season. so something to watch there. Um, we mentioned Dexter Williams, but he he's never he's never carried the ball more than thirty nine times in a season, and no more than eight times in a game. A lot of injuries there. He's been slow to develop when it comes to pass blocking, those types of things. So he's been a little bit limited in his action. Then you have Junior Tony Jones Jr. He'll be the alpha male of this group, but you know he's a bit of a question mark too. Um, because the most carries he's ever had in one game is nine. That came against North Carolina um, in two thousand seventeen. That was an injury filled season for him as well. Um, so we'll have to wait and see what exactly they have here. Worked a couple guys, Jafar Armstrong. He was a wide receiver last year, and now he's trying to learn the running back position. And then Avery Davis, he's cross-trained at both wide receiver and running back. So we'll have to wait and see. And, you know, when you're coming, up, when you're looking at what this team did last year, Autry Dunton has done a nice job as the coach of this unit. Um, think about it. Last year, the line won the Joe Moore Award. Um, and rightfully so, considering the 2017 Irish team set school records for rushing yards total. That was 3,503 and also 6.3 yards per carry. That was also a program record. So that, those are pretty impressive stuff. The previous record, um, as far as total rushing yards in a year, uh, Notre Dame actually beat that by only one yard last year. It was 3,502. That came in 1973. Um, let's see that. Yeah. 3,502. And then when you're talking about the yards per carry record, that record had stood all the way back to 1921, uh, Newt Rockney's fourth year as the head coach, uh, the four horsemen were actually freshmen that year. Um, so that was pretty impressive there. That, that stood, stood in the books for 95 years before Notre Dame broke it last year. Um, and the, how do I say this? Notre Dame finished seventh in the country last year um, as far as the total rushing yards per game. Um, and they hadn't done that, hadn't been even in the top 10 going all the way back to Lou Holt's final season in 1996. So a, a, a big time rushing there. So it's interesting when you're talking about the best rushing season in Notre Dame history, you come back a year later and you're not real sure what you have. Um, so let's, but let, let's, let's go ahead and pop in. 
Brian Kelly talking about Dexter Williams again. He's kind of he's not coming out and saying. I think private privacy rules keep him from coming out and saying whether Dexter Williams will be suspended. But boy, where there's smoke, there's fire, and it certainly looks to be the case. Uh, but here's Brian Kelly talking about at least what he's seen from Dexter Williams so far, and really the running game as a whole. He's he's going to be you know uh, on our roster. We'll see who 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 ends up playing against Michigan, but. He's on our football team, and, and I'm really proud of what he's accomplished in the summer. The, the best uh, summer that he's had since he's been here. He's put on 8 to 10 pounds. Um, his volume is up in terms of uh, his ability to sustain his cardiovascular at a high level. He can go. Uh, he struggled with that at times last year. He's physically fit, in great shape. He's in the best position that he's been, and he's going he's gonna to help our football team next year. Good news there. Uh, when Dexter Williams finds the field, hopefully Notre Dame can survive uh, without him, which appears to be four games. You have the big one against Michigan, Ball State, Vanderbilt, and at Wake Forest. That at Wake Forest is not a real easy game. Certainly the Michigan game won't be as well. You think you could get through Ball State and Vanderbilt with some of these younger backs um, if necessary. Hopefully Tony Jones, um, Alfred Jr. can can keep himself healthy. And that's going to be that's going to be key getting through these first four games before you get Dexter Williams back because that's going to be a nice one-two punch uh, when the time comes. Another point of uh, talk that was pretty interesting, I thought, during the press conference of Brian Kelly was the green jerseys. Okay, Notre Dame is going to do this green out for the Michigan game. They want all the fans to wear green. The coaches are going to wear green, and it's a big campaign. And they've tried this before. But it seems like weather has not cooperated a lot of times, so everybody just had their coats on, and the green out didn't really take hold. Um, they think they can really get this going. There's actually some promotions going on online with the green out. should be pretty cool. But that begs to the question is, uh, are the players going to be wearing green? Uh, Brian Kelly, during his time here, if I can find this, Brian Kelly, in his career, has played in six green jersey games. Now, when I say green jerseys, a couple of these are white jerseys with green numbers. But he's never really done this as any kind of motivational ploy or surprise or anything. As a matter of fact, five of the six games I mentioned, they're part of that Shamrock series. So the uniforms were shown in advance, so you knew that was coming. And then the other one happened in 2011, and again, this was white white jerseys with green numbers. That was part of throwback night uh, to celebrate the first-ever game played under the lights at Michigan Stadium. That was actually a 35-31 Michigan win, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so those are the six career games that involve some sort of green jersey under Brian Kelly. Uh, the other ones were victories, again, in Shamrock Series games, victories over Army in 2010, Maryland 2011, Arizona State 2013. That was a white jersey with green numbers. Uh, Boston College at Fenway Park in 2015, and then Army again in 2016. So it's been a big part of the Shamrock Series under Brian Kelly. I'm going to give you a little history lesson here on the green jerseys, if you'd just give me a second. But I do want to pop in Brian Kelly's take because he was pressed a little bit on indeed, are you going to use those green jerseys? He said the fans want them. Uh, he's not necessarily convinced he's going to use them on the players, but he left the door open a little bit here. We're listening to what our students wanted. I think it started back in April with our shirt. As you know, the shirt is green. Uh, they wanted that to be emblematic of a color that was outside maybe our opponents at home. And so we've taken that, we've listened to their uh, wants and desires to, to be unified in that stadium. 
with a color, and obviously the green is the one that they've chosen. So I've simply been 100% backing, uh, giving them the backing that we, in fact, will, will be pushing that on our end as well. I think some of our coaches, I think coaching gear, they'll have some green in it. You know, we're, we're, we're pushing some other things within the stadium through our marketing department that I think is going to bring that stadium together unified. So I think more than anything else, it was, you know, listening to what our students wanted and, and they wanted that stadium uh, uh, to be unified. My sense is there's going to be plenty of green in that stadium. Our home, home jerseys are blue. I love that tradition. And, and uh, unless something happens drastically in my thought process, you know, we'll wear our traditional blue uh, coming into that game. Stay tuned. Stay tuned on that one. We'll have to wait and see. I, I, Brian Kelly might have a trick up his sleeve. This is going to be a green-out game. I think it would be pretty cool. Um, obviously, a, a rich history with the, with the green jerseys. Some of the coaches in Notre Dame history, they loved the look. As a matter of fact, Dan Devine's teams back in the day, they wore green jerseys 42 straight games between the middle of the 77 season. We'll get to that game in a little bit and the end of his coaching career um, in 1980. Frank Leahy, he also favored that green look. Uh, he actually he wore the green more than the traditional blue during his, his 11 seasons coaching here. Meanwhile, other coaches, Air Parsegian and Lou Holtz, they didn't really care for it. Air Parsegian never once used green jerseys. He always wore the traditional blue, and Lou Holtz only did it twice during his time here, during his 11 seasons here. You know, it's kind of funny when you look at some of the players of the past, Vegas Ferguson, obviously the great running back, tight end Pete Houlihan, um, some others. They uh, they never they never wore they only wore green jerseys during their time at Notre Dame, which was kind of interesting. Uh, meanwhile, a guy like Dave Casper, Mike Towns, in the defensive back, they never once wore green during their time here. So uh, it's kind of interesting. Again, Brian Kelly, as far as he's concerned, he only has done it with the Shamrock Series. Never kind of any motivational ploy. The 77 game is really what stands out. That was the game where the Trojan horse game, the green jersey game that Notre Dame came out and uh, came out in the green jerseys, beat USC 49-19, um, I believe on the way to a national title. That was in 77. Yes, indeed, that would have been a national title for sure. Um, it was funny because they at Notre Dame actually warmed up in that game in, during the pregame in their blues, their traditional blues, and then, then when they came at, and when they came into the locker room. Uh, for the one last pep talk before coming out, the green jerseys were hanging in their lockers, and I guess it really got the guys fired up. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, let's see here. Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz, his first five, se six seasons, he never wore blue. They tried it in the 1992 Sugar Bowl. Um, I, actually, these were uh, the white road jerseys with the green numbers. And then uh, he also, let's see here, and they beat the Gators 39-28. Holtz again did it against Colorado in the 95 Fiesta Bowl. That game, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish lost 41-24. to um, I think for me, in the time I've been covering this team, the game that sticks out the most to me, the green jersey game, uh, because they the, the green jerseys were on mothballs for quite a while here. Uh, but in 2002, Tyrone Willingham brought him out. And if you remember, Notre Dame was flying high. They were undefeated. They had just pulled a road upset of Florida State. And Tyrone Willingham tempted fate, I guess you could say, and whipped out the green jersey, took those off mothballs there. Um, they were number four team in the country. Brought them out for a rivalry game against Boston College. 
and the Eagles stunned the Irish with a 14-7 upset uh, that's totally, totally spoiled Notre Dame's season. Um, and from that point, Tyrone Willingham went only 13 and 15 during the rest of his career here at Notre Dame. So certainly not a great idea uh, when it came to pulling out the green jerseys there. So we'll have to wait and see. A lot of, a lot of chatter about will they, won't they. Um, I think it would be pretty cool, but we'll have to wait and see what we got cooking there. Certainly a storyline worth following for sure. All right, we've been counting down the opponents here. A little opponent preview. We went from worst, what would I consider the easiest opponent on the schedule, to we're going to count it down to who I believe is the best. Uh, we had Ball State as the 12th, the easiest game on the schedule, then Vanderbilt as the 11, Syracuse 10, Pittsburgh 9, Navy 8, Wake Forest 7, and we're going to do Northwestern this week, and this is not an easy opponent at all. I think once you got to Wake Forest, these uh, the rest of these games are really tricky games. Um, the last meeting with, this will be November 3rd, the Northwestern game. This is sort of part of that road trip swing uh, because the week before Northwestern, Notre Dame will be out in San Diego to play Navy. Then they'll go to Northwestern, so two road games in a row. They come home to play Florida State. Then they go out to Yankee Stadium to play Syracuse, and then they go all the way out to USC in L.A. Uh, so four out of the last five games are away from home. That's going to be tricky, especially when the only home game in that slate is Florida State. So something to keep an eye on there. November 3rd will be the date at Ohio or at Northwestern. Sorry about that. The Irish lead this series 37 wins, 9 losses, and 2 ties. But the most recent meeting came on November 15, 2014, when Northwestern rallied. They were down 40-29 to in the fourth quarter and ended up posting a 43-40 overtime victory. It was not a pretty day at Notre Dame Stadium. The upset actually snapped a four-game losing streak for Northwestern at the time, and they were only averaging 12.5 points per game during that losing streak, and they put 43 on Notre Dame. Um, This was the second of what would become four consecutive defeats for the Irish to end the 2014 season. I think what made what I remember the most about this is what made this outcome probably the most difficult for Notre Dame fans to take was Brian Kelly went for two points instead of kicking an extra point. Um, they could have kicked the extra point and went up 40-29, to 29, which would have made it a, a three-possession game, a three-score advantage. Instead, they went for two for some strange reason, because what good does that do you? Um, 11, but by keeping it at 11, it kept it a two-score game, where you could get a field goal and then a touchdown and a two-point conversion, and that's exactly what Northwestern did. Tied the game up. So again, Notre Dame, instead of going up 12, decided to go up, uh, tried to go for two. And it didn't work out at all. And that's how Northwestern was able to come back and win. We're talking about recruiting rankings. Usually Northwestern hovers around the 60 mark. So certainly Notre Dame will have the talent advantage. Uh, But Pat Fitzgerald, 13 years on the job there. He's done a terrific, he's been terrific coach for them. 87 and 65 record overall. Um, He's been fantastic. He really has. Um, Last year is a classic example of the job Fitzgerald did. If you remember... 41-17 loss at Duke for Northwestern, and that was in Game 2. And then they lost a couple more games to Wisconsin and Penn State. So here we are. The Wildcats were 2-3 and overall to start the season. And then guess what? They proceeded to post their longest winning streak in the history of the program to close out the season. They won eight in a row to finish 10-3. and Um, That's actually the longest run among Power 5 conference teams entering the 2018 when you're talking about eight straight wins. And it's third overall in all of college football, Division I college football. Central Florida has won 13 in a row, and Florida Atlantic has won 10. Um, pretty good stuff there. Um, let's see here. 
since the inception of overtime into college football in 1996, Northwestern last year became the first team ever to win three consecutive overtime games. Uh, that was kind of the, that was uh, Iowa, Michigan State, and Nebraska. So they're good in the clutch too. And then the 24-23 Music City Bowl versus Kentucky marked the first time ever Northwestern captured back-to-back bowl games because they beat Pitt the year before. Certainly, Pat Fitzgerald has this uh, team playing well, and he returns a lot of nice players here. He really does. Six starters on both offense and defense. Uh, junior Joe Gaziano, he led the Big Ten in sacks last season with nine. He'll be back. And true freshman last year, Sam Dup Miller, he recorded five and a half sacks as a true freshman. Uh, he'll return as well, obviously. So a lot of pressure. Win- Wimbush will probably have his hands full a little bit because these guys are certainly uh, terrific when it comes to uh, rushing the passer. Um, we'll have to see quarterback Clayton Thorson. He has 7,548 career passing yards and 44 touchdowns. And uh, now he suffered a torn ACL in that Music City Bowl. So we'll have to see how he how he will be uh, how he'll be ready to go in the season opener. But again, this isn't until November. This game, so certainly he'll have plenty of time uh, to get himself well. Fitzgerald, he's achieved stellar. He's just done a great job in Evanston. He really has. Three times he's led the Wildcats to 10-win seasons since 2012. Since 2012, Northwestern has won 10 games, and that's in a mighty tough Big Ten conference when they're often overmanned when it comes to the opponents they play. And interestingly, that's just as many 10-win seasons as Notre Dame has since 2012. Uh, Fitzgerald has won the two most recent outings against the Irish, uh, you have to go back to 95 for the fir- first one when he was a star linebacker. Uh, that actually, that team in 95 actually shared, had a share of the Big Ten title. Uh, they beat Notre Dame 17 15 at Notre Dame in the season opener. And then we mentioned the 2014 contest when Fitzgerald was the coach there. So again, if Thorson can come back and rebound from this ACL tear, tear uh, Northwestern could be really good this year. And again, this is a game up there. Kind of fits in just before they play Florida State. Uh, they have that long trip to San Diego the week before. Bit of a trap game here. Northwestern will certainly be tough and ready to go when the time comes. So a 10-3 and Northwestern team from last year. Notre Dame will probably be a slight favorite. I'd say anywhere from a touchdown favorite to perhaps a 10-point favorite. I kind of doubt if it'll be a 10-point favorite, especially on the road. But a good opponent. And again, I mentioned it last week when we did Wake Forest. I think starting with Wake Forest and moving on up, on the schedule, I think all these are ornery and dangerous games for Notre Dame. Kind of a, some interesting hoops news that came out this week. Um, a little bit unexpected. You know, when you look at uh, Notre Dame's recruiting class for this incoming class, a five-man group that ranked really in the top 15 anywhere and everywhere that you look. One of the players on that is a guy by the name of Chris Doherty. He's a freshman power forward, and he really seemed to fit into Notre Dame's system. He's a, just a hard-nosed guy. He's six foot eight, two twenty-five. He's a great big guy. He hustles like crazy. Kind of reminds you a little bit of, of you know, like a Heron Goatee or somebody like that. You know, any of those uh, a Zach Cooley, those types of guys that that Mike Bray loves to recruit and then developed. Um, the guy was terrific so far during practice during the early spark. He. You know, he had just really graduated from high school and then all of a sudden comes in almost immediately from Massachusetts in June um, and joins the team. So looked like a good fit, but somehow, and certainly a great player. These are the type of guys that Mike Bray is so, so good at developing. But a little bit of homesickness, it looks like, sounds like. Um, I know his grandfather fell ill as well, but he just kind of up and left. 
Um, dropped out of summer school, went back home to be with his family. We'll have to wait and see how all this plays out. Again, guy by the name of Chris Doherty, he's a power forward. Um, by the end of the second week of summer school, he, he was out of here. Um, just, just didn't like it. His mother drove 13 hours from Massachusetts to pick him up, and then another 80, 875 miles back home. Doherty didn't even inform the coaching staff that he was out of here, uh, that he was struggling mentally, perhaps academically as well. Uh, from the, what the coaches could see, everything was fine. He went to all his, was doing all his classwork. He went to all the workouts, even finalized his schedule for the fall semester. But he eventually withdrew from summer school. Um, but he is now staying in contact with the coaching staff. As a matter of fact, uh, Coach Rod Balanis uh, swung through there and had a, he was out recruiting in New York and slid by and visited with Doherty a little bit um, to talk with him. Bray was out there. Mike Bray was out there recruiting as well, and Doherty had lunch with Bray. So I, I like how Mike Bray is handling this. They could have just cut bait, said, "All right, bud, if you you know if you're not willing to stick around here, um, we're going to let you go." But he's not. He's sticking with him. Said, "Hey, if the kid needs to work some things out as far as his family's concerned." That's how it's going to be. Um, they look forward to him returning to the team at the start of the fall semester so far. Um, everything looks to be systems go for his return, and we, we can only hope so. Guy's been kind of an interesting uh, – he verbally committed uh, last November um, before uh, – it was right before signing day, actually. I remember he was kind of a, a late come on here. And as a senior, he averaged 19.7 points, 12.3 rebounds, four and a half blocks, and three assists a game. That's that's uh, that's some pretty solid stuff there for sure. He was injured his junior year, uh, back injury. He didn't even play at high school, and he kind of fell then off the you know the. If you're not playing, you're not you're not on anybody's radar. We we all know that. So recruiting wise, he kind of fell off the mark. Uh, but certainly, Mike Bray is really good at keeping an eye on these guys that maybe kind of do fall off the recruiting radar. And he did. So, again, we wish him well. We hope he can get all his stuff together here and get back to the team. It seems like that's how it's going to go from everything I'm seeing. And you know what, folks? That's going to do it for us. Uh, That's your latest edition of the Blue Gold Report. Again, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Sons. Certainly dial us up, share us, rate us. It's very important you do so so we can get the word out. We'll have a lot more camp updates here as we dive a little bit deeper into that. We'll get some player interviews, and we'll have some more sound, and we'll have a little bit better feel for some of what's going on as far as any position competitions that may be brewing out there. Um, It is kind of interesting. I do want to slip this in because it's something when we were listening to Brian Kelly, he's talking about you know leadership and whatnot. And I, I stumbled across something that I thought was kind of worth mentioning. I was going to leave it out, but it looks like I have a couple minutes here, so I will slide these in. I was looking at the starts, the career starts for these guys um, as far as career starts heading into this season. And it's interesting to me because the defensive side of the ball certainly has the advantage here. So Drew Tranquil, obviously the Fort Wayne linebacker, uh, Rover turn linebacker here at Notre Dame. He leads all Irish players. He has 29 career starts, made 13 last year. Jerry Tillery is second on that list, defensive tackle, 28 starts, 13 last year. And then Julian Love, um, he, he's already made 21. He's only he's going to be a junior. He's already made 21 starts, 13 last year. More double-digit starters here on defense. Let's see, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys with Double-digit starting experience on defense. Tavon Coney has 16 starts. Jonathan Bonner, defensive lineman there. Uh, obviously, Coney linebacker. Defensive lineman Jonathan Bonner, 14. 
Cornerback Nick Coleman, 14. Safety Jalen Elliott, 13. And defensive end Dalen Hayes has 12. So again, you have a lot of guys with a lot of experience on defense. When you flip it over to the offensive side of the ball, you really don't see that so much. As a matter of fact, only four guys on offense with double-digit starting experience. Starts with offensive guard Alex Bars. He has 27. And then center Sam Mustafer, he has 25. And then there's a big drop-off after that. Both those guys uh, started all 13 games last year. Amazingly, Brandon Wimbush is third on the offense as far as career starts. He started 12 games last year. Um, so it, it goes to that drop-off because you're talking about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight guys on defense that have more than Brandon Wimbush, 12 career starts. And then Alizé Mack, he started six games last year. He has 11 career starts. So only four guys with double-digit starts on offense. Uh, Tommy Kramer, offensive tackle, has nine. Chase Claypool, wide receiver, has eight. And then nobody else has more than four. So you're talking about a pretty big discrepancy when it comes to experience uh, when you're talking about defense versus offense. So I thought that was worth mentioning as Brian Kelly really talks about his leadership and what he wants to see and how he wants these guys to develop. And certainly I think that goes, when you talk about that lack of experience on offense, that goes to the importance of Brandon Wimbush stepping up and becoming a leader. Uh, the other guys are offensive linemen. So that's going to be something to watch for sure. And with that, I will I will send it your way, folks. We'll talk to you next week. I appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. And that's your Blue Gold Report. This has been a presentation of Optin Productions. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.